0: Welcome to the faculty podcast brought to you by Reformed Theological Seminary in Washington, D.C., part of a 50 plus year endeavor to train pastors and other church leaders in the ministry of the gospel in the United States and around the world. My name is Scott Redd. I'm a president here and professor of Old Testament. And I'm joined by Dr. Peter Lee, professor of Old Testament and dean of students here at RTSDC. Also joined by our professor of New Testament and academic dean, Dr. Tommy Keen, our professor of New Testament and Pastor at New City Presbyterian Church, Dr. Paul Jean, and our professor of systematic theology, Dr. Gray Sutanto. And if you'd like to learn anything more or learn more about RTS, you can come and find us on the website, www.rts.edu. And you can also there ask questions. If you have any questions for the faculty to address on the faculty podcast, you can go to rts.edu forward slash Washington forward slash podcast. And there you'll find a little form that you can fill out and pose questions to the profs here on the faculty podcast. We are now in our second to last episode dealing with the Apostles' Creed. So we're actually wrapping it up. We're looking at the last article today. And then next week, we're going to come back around and talk about how to use the Apostles' Creed in the context of the church, in the context of your family, and in your own spiritual life. But we're Finishing it up right now, and we're in this last article under the section, I Believe in the Holy Spirit. We have a series of articles underneath that, including the Holy Catholic Church, Communion of Saints, and it finds its in, its culmination here in the life everlasting. And so this is, a, this is a subtle shift from the resurrection of the body, which is talking about one of the specific aspects of our salvation, and now we're talking to the about the extent of our salvation. Is this temporal? Is this something that comes to an end, or is it everlasting? And according to the Apostles' Creed, it's everlasting. We believe in the life everlasting. So I want to start off with this question to Dr. Lee because there is, I think, a sense amongst some in the church that this idea of everlasting life or, or eternal salvation is kind of a New Testament thing this is kind of a Christian gospel thing it's not something you find in the Old Testament. How ought we to think about this? Is this something that is sort of newly introduced in the New Testament or do we see this theme get projected back in the Old Testament as well?
1: Yeah it's got that's really it's a really good point and an unfortunate one I would say I mean it's definitely true that the concept of uh, the life everlasting, is, is it permeates all over the New Testament. That's absolutely true. But yet, in many ways, the New Testament is standing on the shoulders of, of, of an idea that we find even in the old. In fact, it goes all the way back to the garden. Uh, when we think about Adam and the, uh, the life that, the, that he had in the garden, we have to remember that you know, our Reformed tradition has embraced the idea that he was in a probationary period, that, uh, that there was a greater state of life for him. And as great as it was, as, as, as wondrous as that life in the garden was without sin, that, that there was something even better. I mean, we see that represented always in the garden, in the figure of in this Sabbath day, and how there is a, an eternal Sabbath that uh, Adam could enter into. The tree of life uh, is sort of represents that idea as well. It, it always seems to me such an amazing idea that the goal that the Lord had for humanity was to have this greater state of life, uh, something that is going to be not just potentially temporary as it was with Adam, but something eternal, something consummated, something glorious, something better that can never be taken away, that can never be in, uh, that can never be defiled, that will never be in, uh, that could never perish. Adam could have earned that, but uh, because he failed his mandate, he failed to, to be able to earn that, but that's the reason why we have a second Adam in Christ, uh, so that now we can have that pure, eternal bond uh, with the Lord that the first Adam lost, and and again, that's something that uh, I really love about our historical redemptive tradition is it, it pushes us towards that goal and that idea that the life everlasting was something that the Lord designed as the telos, even in the garden. Uh, sin may have disrupted it. Uh, now the Lord had to account for sin, atone for it. Now we need a Messiah. But the goal remained the same. And he accomplished that now in Christ in the second Adam. And now we who are in union with Christ have and will benefit in a fully consummated, glorious, eternal life. It's it's wonderful. It's great.
2: Let me ask you somewhat of a tangent question, but I think it's an interesting question. Sometimes I was listening to a talk and the question being addressed in that talk was, why did people, especially before the patriarchs, live so long versus you know the length of our lives now? The answer that the speaker gave I thought it was really interesting. The gist of the answer was that in the creation, when people lived long, that was a, a sign of what life was meant to be. We were supposed to live into the centuries. So do you have any thoughts on that versus as we moved away from the creation because of the curse and the effects of the curse, this is why our lives are shorter, but then with Christ we now are reversing the curse that we will live into eternity. So do you have any thoughts on that?
1: No, I wish I did, Paul. I don't I don't have any real profound insights on uh, on on those uh, length of days.
0: Uh-huh. I don't know
1: Dr. Red if you have anything more profound than than what I just said, which basically is I don't know.
0: No, I mean I think there is there is an inclination towards death. And shortening—that is what you know. Curse is in biblical theology. Curse is a word unto death, right? And a blessing is a word unto life. And as the curse is set upon humanity, death looms large in a way that is respondent to that curse. But yeah, it is difficult. That is that is one of those really interesting questions as to what's going on with those those length, the length of life, and those years and how we ought to think about those. Cause there's, there's, there's different kinds of historiography in the ancient world. That's recording things like the length of days or the length of someone's life in years. And uh, it gets quite complicated, but I think you're definitely, you you the inclination is definitely there that, yeah, there's this, there's this movement towards kind of a speedening or a heightening of, of death as a reality in the human life. I
3: see, there's an interesting comparison point to be made, I think, there uh, with, with Paul's question I, that, you know, it's a reminder when we talk about the life everlasting, we're not talking about just the continuation of the aging process, right? That it's not like uh, we just started. Um, I just started with the kids, the Lord of the Rings uh, books, and of course, there's that famous, now famous line uh, that Bilbo says that I, I feel stretched like butter spread over too much bread. And sometimes we can think about kind of the life everlasting is just this life continuing on and on and on and on and on. And of co- and of course that doesn't sound very attractive, um, but the life everlasting is, is something different. It's a different order. Of creation, it's a it's it's a continual flourishing in life, a continual um, fruitfulness in life, for, forever and ever and ever. Yeah, it's it's important to remember that the world as it currently is cannot sustain the glory that is to come. It can't bear that weight, and so all of the cosmos has to be restored and in, into this new creation. And we see that kind of in Romans eight. We see that in Second uh, uh, Corinthians three the glory that is to come will be uh, will be fit for this new world order, this new created order.
2: Tommy, that's really
3: interesting. Like, I think it's in that uh, bestseller
2: uh, History of Tomorrow where the author talks about technologists are trying to now solve the problem of death. But the way they view it is exactly in the opposite of what you just described, like this life going on into perpetuity. Whereas the New Testament does especially describe eternal life as entering a new mode of existence and i think that's a really great way of uh, expressing
3: we kind of talked about that last week when we talked about the cosmic scope of resurrection that, that our bodies are raised uh, but they're raised into this new this new world this this new creation that we really have an inability to imagine what it's like we, we don't know we can't conceive of a creation in which the lion lays down with the lamb in which uh, life flourishes without death. Uh, But that is indeed the hope of the new order is that um, our, our bodies will be uh, fit for this, this, this greater order of, of creation.
4: Yeah. And that's really worth thinking about because there is a long Christian theological tradition that's reflected upon the fittingness of the resurrected body And that fittingness is not just for this everlasting endurance of our body, this temporal endurance of our body, but it's also particularly fitting so that we might actually behold the glory of God, right? This tradition of the beatific vision that basically said that the end of the Christian life or the aim of the Christian life is communion with God, fellowship with God, union with Christ, um, and, and hence that our bodies had to be cleansed from sin or else it would have perished in the light of the glory of God we think about the many ways and times in which God appeared to the saints in the old testament and he could only show so much of himself right he showed the backside of himself to Moses and even from that Moses's face was illumined and so many times when God does appear uh and people were unprepared right especially about Adam and Eve they were just running away thinking about God coming for them right there is this fear that the holiness of God would just cause them to be incinerated. And so the resurrection body, a body that is glorified, that is free from sin is fitting, not just so that we could enjoy this long life of pleasure or freedom from pain or freedom from aging or anything like that, but rather it's for this positive purpose of fellowship with God.
1: That is how uh, the gospel of John, right? Chapter 17, verse three, that's how it defines eternal life. uh, Not necessarily quantitatively, but, you know, Christocentrically, I guess, you know, this is eternal life that you may know the one true God and Jesus Christ is only son. Uh, and and I, and I love how it's so redefined. You know, it, we ask the question uh, and just the concept and the term de- eternal life sort of begs a conceptual quantitative idea, but that's not the way the Bible defines it. Uh, it defines it based on a person, on, on the person of Christ. Um it kind um, of diagonalizes and reorients the question, and focuses on a person, and 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 so I so this whole communion bond idea uh, of a pure holy communion bond that is consummated that cannot be lost, I definitely think is the the reward the, the or not the reward it, it's, it's the goal it's the way that we need to uh and and how we should appreciate that the whole idea of life everlasting.
0: We started to touch on this last week when we were talking about resurrection, but this idea too, I like this. You just highlighted the life everlasting is this knowledge of Jesus Christ, this worship of him. In other words, it's not like our saving faith is a ticket that gets us through the door of resurrection at the end. That's one way maybe to talk about it, but that's not the whole picture of what's happening. You know, we are already enjoying the life everlasting the beginning of it right now it's in an already not yet way right but we're already a new creation in christ right and so we're this idea i think this actually sheds a whole new light on what paul means when he says something like in philippians 1 um you know this work that's been begun in you will not be completed until the day of christ but the work's been begun right so you're you're already living towards your everlasting life. It's not if I can just get through. I mean, there's a sense in which yeah, in suffering a way that you can be comforted or comfort the sufferers to say, well, if you can get through this, you have everlasting life awaiting you. But there's also this very real sense in which we're already tasting of it in part, which is drawing us forward towards it in whole, as a whole, right? And I I, I love that picture. I love how Paul Paul applies that you know, all over the place in his letters, but this idea even that our present suffering isn't even comparable to what awaits us you know, in the new heavens and new earth. And that idea that we will now even see the present suffering and the present struggle in the context of that eternal glory and worship that you all were just talking about, and that that will change the nature of the present suffering, right? That'll be lived in the context of that later thing. You know, C.S. Lewis dabbles into this in his book, The Great Divorce, where he talks about the idea of our our living towards the new heavens and new earth is a kind of of process that's already begun today. And by the way, it also happens on the other side, too, that if you're living towards perdition, if you're living towards alienation from God, then that process has already begun today. You're already tasting hell in your life today, being separated from God, you know, and he says... He talks about how um, you know, both processes begin even before death. The good man's past, talking about the Christian, begins to change so that, he, so that his forgiven sins and remembered sorrows take on the quality of heaven. The bad man's past already conforms to his badness and is filled with, only with dreariness. And that is why the blessed will say, we have never lived anywhere except in heaven. And the lost will say, we were always in hell. And both will speak truly. Truly. I think that's a really kind of poignant way of thinking about this idea of living toward your eternal end and that we're already kind of tasting it. We're a part of it now.
4: It's amazing that the Heidelberg Catechism on this particular clause on life everlasting just talked about it in the exact way that you just talked about it, Scott, that this experience of joy of life everlasting is already something that we have here today. Yet at the same time, there is something more to be had later on in continuity with what we have now But it's something that no eye has ever seen, no ear has ever heard yet, precisely because our bodies are incapable of residing forever, of being able to commune with God forever. And so uh, it's amazing that they've defined it as we've experienced it now. And yet at the same time, this life everlasting, which consists in blessedness, and they would define blessedness as communion with God himself. That's what is promised in the life to come.
3: I wonder if sometimes our our vision maybe this has gotten eclipsed in the protestant tradition because our vision for what the gospel is is too too narrow that we we've made the gospel this this story of forgiveness which it certainly is but forgiveness is part of as as kind of peter was indicating with the kind of going back to eden and the probationary state and and all this all this kind of thing forgiveness is actually part of a bigger story of Communion with God, having that perfect fellowship with our Father, Father, Son, and and Holy Spirit, Um, that has always been the telos and the goal. And seeing the narrative of forgiveness within that bigger story helps us to process things pastorally that we might not otherwise be able to process, like the purpose of suffering and things like this, which is bringing us and helping us to bear the weight of glory that is as that is to come. Having that bigger story, this this idea of the life everlasting, world without end, amen, helps us process our pain along the way.
4: Yeah, and I think in recent years, we've also seen a significant recovery of this idea of the new heavens and the new earth as fundamentally in continuity with this world, right? That God cares about creation, that God didn't abandon creation. We talked about this a little bit as well. We talk about the resurrection, right? The fact that God created everything means that everything is good. The fact that Jesus Christ became incarnate means that he's committed to the human body, that, that human flesh is still good and he's still going to save it. And the fact that God is recreated recreating everything anew means that he's not just going to toss this world away and then create a replacement, but rather he's redeeming this world and consummating it and glorifying it, right? And yet at the same time, even as we recover this sense of the goodness of nature and the goodness of human culture and this idea of creation as fundamentally something that God really cares about and that we would eat, we would dance, we would continue to have bodies in the new heavens and new earth. These recoveries are great, but at the same time, we can't let this also eclipse a proper sense of the fact that these things are only good insofar as God is the center of this heavenly city insofar as we have this communion bond with God and that without this communion bond with God, then you have the new, and new earth lose their fundamental goodness, and they lose their fundamental order, right? And so, uh, even as a card-carrying neo-Calvinist, I think this is something that's been represented in our re- tradition. Even though sometimes Kuiper and Boving get, you know, sidelined by some critics because they would say that Kuiper and Boving had a fundamentally this-worldly idea of the new heavens and new earth, and this-worldly idea of of the afterlife. Yet, you know, what we see is that They've sought to maintain these two things precisely because the Bible wants to maintain these two things. But there's also a primary to secondary order, right? Primarily, it's by communing with God. And only when that's right can we enjoy the new heavens and the earth for what it is.
3: I have a question for you, Greg. As, as, as a card-carrying neo as the only not card-carrying neo-Calvinist in the room, I, I, I haven't gotten my card yet. Um, it's on the but, way, Tommy. It, there's this you you mentioned the kind of interesting relationship between the this world order and the next and and that it's not just kind of a reset button that God pushes, but that there's continuity between the two and yet discontinuity. Um, that's an important point, and we see that in pictures in in the New Testament as well. I think of that passage in Revelation where uh, the nations bring their glories into the yeah. heaven. And I've always wondered about that. I've kind of pondered that a little bit, um, but have not reached cognitive rest on that. Do you want to do you wanna bring me to cognitive rest? Do you have a do you have a position on that passage?
4: Yeah, I think you're thinking about the passages, I think, at Revelation 21, this talking about the kings of earth and the nations bringing their glory, being invited to participate in some way. Yeah. The new heavens and the new earth. So, in other words, even though this new spiritual world and this consummation is brought about by God alone. There is no incremental upward trajectory towards that from human progress or anything like that. There's still this invitation almost by God to participate in some way. This is God alone is doing it, but at the same time human responsibility is involved in some way. Now this could get really silly immediately. And I can imagine my friends who are very critical of new Calvinism already immediately say things like, Oh, You know, great. Does this mean that the table that I made that's gonna be with me in heaven, or you know, does this mean that my favorite pillow is gonna be in heaven if I just love it enough or something? And yeah, it could be very silly when we when we think about it that way. And I think there should be a measure of epistemological humility when we think about what's in continuity between this world and the next. Yet at the same time, there is continuity. We have to say that there is continuity. And and one of the things that is very clear from, from the biblical passages is that our bodies are in continuity, right? Jesus Christ was recognized as Christ e- even after his resurrected body was, was, was his. And I would so, despite the possibility of silly speculative conjectures, I would still want to emphasize that participation, that God would deem this creation to still be preserved and at the same time consummated there are things about this earth that is good and this is why in the doctrine of common grace has to be talked about why does god preserve this earth from utter futility utter destruction precisely because there are things in this earth that is still awaiting consummate glory um, and part of that is the natural product of human labor and culture so in a macro way yes but i don't want to speculate about like if you made a sword or something, that sword is going to make it with you.
3: Well, that, no, that's really helpful. I, and I think it's important not to be. Well, speculation is is fun, right? But we can't be conclusive about about these kinds of things. We need to have that that humility that uh, God has stored up this glorious thing for us, and at the same time, we're not sure what uh, what it will be.
4: And also, I think just looking at the primary sources of Neo-Calvinist tradition, they have. Restrain themselves from speculating what exactly would appear in the new heavens and the new earth, right? I think, in general, things like human creativity, things like poetry, things like the arts and the sciences, right? This thirst for knowing God and knowing others and knowing God's world, that's still going to be there and present. So they would envision, or gardening, right? That Adam and Eve were tending to the garden before sin. And there will be gardening work to do it. The and then you have new newer things like that. They would say things like that would, would occur, but whether or not your apple tree would, you know, uh, be the same. In the new and then you have new earth. They wouldn't say something like that.
3: Yeah, but, but and pets would be.
4: Yeah, that, that's a great question. I would, I would ask, um, I would ask someone else about that, perhaps. Maybe Paul John, because he's got, actually, Scott too, right? You've got a couple of pets at home.
0: Tommy does steal me.
4: Tommy too.
1: Well, my 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 daughter will know be happy to know that there's the slight possibility that we may have a consummated Disney World. <laughs> I'm sorry, that, 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 that we can edit that one out.
0: Uh,
1: yeah, I suppose.
0: <laughs> That's good. That's a good good conversation.
1: There definitely is a consummated level, though, uh, you know, as as that continuity and the honoring of creation, that the it is a new creation or a new heavens and new earth, definitely of a magnitude and of, of an order that is radically different and yeah. uh, and and purely eternal and and glorious in a way that uh, we. I guess I always find it interesting. First, how little. Uh, in terms of scripture, there is in descriptions of of the consummated life, and then secondly, how it's always given to us something that Dr. Keene has uh, kind of reminded me always in visions and images. It's kind of difficult to put into words. The best that scripture could perhaps do it is by putting it in in the context of a of an image to communicate that idea.
4: Yeah, for sure. So whatever continuity there is the eschatological and glorious character of heaven would always exceed human imagination. I think that's worth emphasizing. So if somebody's still speculating about, hey, is my car is going to be there in heaven, they're really thinking way too low of heaven.
0: Yeah. And the sense in which, you know, we talked about this last last week with the resurrection about death, but really the the whole arrangement, there's a sense in which I, I wonder the reason why we can one one reason why we cannot even conceive No eye has seen, no ear has heard in the second Corinthians slash Isaiah since, you know, that what this is going to be like is because in this new arrangement where sin and rebellion and the curse and death are all lifted and maybe even all of a sudden we'll see how they're all one and the same. We're all they're all a part of the same whole because we'll sense their lack they'll be gone. And I can't conceive of that. Like like Tommy mentioned about, I can't conceive of a nature without, without death. And likewise, it's, it's hard for me to imagine my human consciousness without sin. And that, that already to me is a big enough of a leap of discontinuity that I can, I can imagine how much I can't imagine what it's going to be like, right? I, I'm aware of how little I'm going to, I know about what that existence could possibly be like, and it's a glorious thing. It's a it's it's a, it's a glorious mystery not not in the sense of the mystery of the gospel, but in another way, it's a, it's a glorious thing that's wait that we're waiting to see revealed and and unfoiled, and yeah, it's a it's it's so powerful that it draws us forward in this life. Well, we need to bring this to a close brothers. It's always a joy to talk with you. This is one of those topics that is to me, both exhilarating and at times of course, confusing and confounding, but it's always kind of a glorious confusion. And uh, I love that this is where the apostles creed leaves us. It leaves us in, in the mystery of everlasting life. And uh, it's, it's something that we, long for in the Christian church we're being catechized towards we're being formed towards as we've just discussed and um, it's a place to find great hope and great source of of celebration and thanksgiving we're going to discuss the end of the apostles creed next week so stick with us again if you have any questions please feel free you can post those both on twitter and facebook on our on our um, rts washington accounts Or you can go to rts.edu forward slash Washington forward slash um, podcast and you'll see a form that you can use there to fill out. If you'd like to learn more about the seminary, please also go to the website um, and begin that conversation. We'd love to talk to you more about how you can pursue theological study at Reformed Theological Seminary in Washington, D.C. Thanks. And until next week, take care.
3: One thing I've been wondering lately is, like, what if God was one of us?
0: <laughs> like, like <laughs> clean, or maybe, maybe he'd be clean. No, he'd be a slob. He'd be a slob, like one of us.
1: Definitely on public. Uh, where, that that's a song. Uh, yeah. It was in a movie. What? Where was that from? <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: in oh, P- P- Peter just being <laughs> hilarious.
0: But Clara Stephania. went to high school with Gwen Stefani. That's what that's what you need to know.
1: That's right. That's right, man. Although I, I don't know I don't think she'd remember Clara.
4: Wait, Clara went to high school with Gwen Stefani? I didn't know this. Yeah,
1: yeah. Supposedly Gwen Stefani is uh, was a junior. I think her freshman year, or something like that, in their high school in, in Southern Cal. Um, wow. I don't think they hung out, but, uh, you know, but I, I, I don't
4: know. I just want to know if she was already listening to ska rock, you know, back then, Gwen Stefani, or is that something that she just picked up because it was becoming big and then she started No Doubt. Anyway. I don't, don't even was know what bit. that was, is. Okay. That's, it was like, yeah.
0: That's early. Um, what was her band called? No Doubt. No Doubt. Yeah. I think actually Clara was telling her about Meredith Klein, and Gwen said she couldn't understand it. She said, I'm just a girl after all. And then I think that was the inspiration.